Thank you for downloading the Barbecue Central Show. The Barbecue Central Show is supported in part by these great sponsors. The Barbecue Guru, makers of automatic pit temperature control devices and barbecue pits. Their website is thebbqguru.com. Also, Butcher Barbecue, maker of injections, rubs, and sauces. Their website is butcherbbq.com. And by Big Papa Smokers, your one-stop online shop for anything in the barbecue and grilling industry to include world championship winning rubs. Their website, bigpapasmokers.com. And by Cookshack, maker of pellet and electric cookers. You can visit them at cookshack.com. Also, Chops Power Injector System. Three different size injectors to choose from. Find out more at barbecuekansascity.com, and that's barbecue, B-A-R-B-E-Q-U-E. And by Pit Barrel Cooker, one of the most unique and versatile cookers out there on the market. Visit them at pitbarrelcooker.com. And by Smithfield, the biggest name in pork, bringing you great opportunities this barbecue season. Get Smokin' with Smithfield and their grant program and committed cooks program. Learn more at smokinwithsmithfield.com. And by Green Mountain Grills, some of the finest pellet cookers on the market. Their website, greenmountaingrills.com. Also by Cookin' Pellets, manufacturer of wood pellets to fire wood pellet cookers. Their website is cookinpellets.com. You can also purchase on Amazon.com as well. This is Jennifer Polymus from Shalote, North Carolina, and this is Barbecue Central. We'll do it live. Okay. Well, do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure you say whatever? We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Good evening and welcome to the really big Barbecue Central show. This is the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. We're broadcasting live and direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. It is widely known, at least in these here parts, as the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening. If you feel like you can bring something of value and worthwhileness to the show and you'd like to reach out by phone or email, but you don't know how to do that, I can help out with it. You can get in touch with the show by calling 216-220-0966. Email Greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. On the Twitter and Instagram, at BBQ Central Show. Everything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you need to get the newsletter. Of course, it is the fourth Tuesday of the month, and that means we are going to get a nice visit from the Keeper of the Flame over at AmazingRibs.com. Max Good will be joining us. We will be talking about specifically the new tabletop gas grill that Max has been toying around with here recently. 
I've never been a huge fan of tabletop gas grills or any real kind of gas grill that is being portrayed as either camping friendly or in this particular part of the season, tailgate friendly. The Weber Q, way different. That's a whole different beast, I think. But by and large, these tailgate grills aren't known for bringing substantial value when you're buying them up front. But Max will tell us all about the item that he is working with here. We will also talk a little bit about how some of these other traditional pit manufacturers are now starting to find themselves into the pellet cooker game, or at least attacking that portion of the industry to some regard. And so we will have a discussion on, from a high-level business aspect, is it good to diversify your products offering portfolio to include pellet cookers if that isn't your wheelhouse, number one. And then number two, if you're going to make that jump anyway, regardless of what we think about it, what features and benefits should you have? What technology should you include? What are some of the other important things that will help you be a successful pellet cooker manufacturer slash retailer, as well as the traditional pit that you have come to build your brand on. So lots of good stuff to talk about there with Max Good from AmazingRibs.com at 914. Then at 935, uh, he's been here quite a few times here over the last month or so. It is the creator of the World Food Championships, president and CEO of MMA Creative, Mike McLeod, will be joining us. If you don't follow me on social media, shame on you. Go ahead and friend me up on the Facebook or fan my page or thumb my page or whatever the hell you do to my page. It's slash BBQ Central Show, very easy to find. And then you will get all of the updates. I post a lot of food pictures there, a lot of breaking news as it relates to the industry of live fire cooker. Not always barbecue and grilling related, but live fire cooking related mostly. If you didn't follow me or you haven't yet, then you don't know, perhaps, that the World Food Championships has changed its final table look. There will be the WFC in November. There will be a top 10. However, they will not be crowning a winner at the World Food Championships this year. I said it. It's a whole different thing. We'll talk about it with Mike McLeod at 935. So stay tuned for that. Then we'll move into the second hour. And what is rapidly becoming the most popular segment that we are doing on this show from a month-to-month basis, five guys, different regions of the country, bringing a hot take to the table that they can get off their chest, they can kind of burn on it, if you will, and then they offer it up for the other five folks. I'm included in that, of course to give their opinions on their particular topic that they brought to the show. We know it as the Embedded Show Correspondence segment. That's at 1014 this evening, the fourth Tuesday. Now, if you're a big fan of the show, you will realize that that used to be a 935 segment, but the first three are the three, first two were done so well, and the topics were so good, And we were running out of time that I said, well, if the second time we do it, it appears to get legs that I get the right kind of feedback from the studio audience because I like hearing from the 
diversified panel, then I will bump it back into the 10 o'clock hour and give it the longer segment, the 1014 segment. Well, lo and behold, it worked out really well. So 1014, we'll have the embedded correspondence segment. And then at 935, I will end with an in-depth review of the Impossible Burger. That's right. I was going to go Friday, but I didn't go Friday. This past, I went last night to the B-Spot and had a non-beef burger. As a matter of fact, I had two. That's right. So I have a in-depth analysis of the Impossible Burger. I have pictures of the Impossible Burger that I'll be showing on the video side of things here. So all that to look forward to in this great two-hour jam-packed show. Let everybody know the show is happening right now. Facebook.com slash BBQ Central Show is a place to go watch the video. OutdoorCookingChannel.com, longtime syndication partner on the video side of this show, is also showing the video portion. TheBBQCentralShow.com is where you can get the audio-only stream, and some people prefer it that way. Also, you can find it on Roku. Again, if you follow me on social media, you would know that I had a customer of mine last week drop off what ended up being... Trinidad Scorpion Death Peppers. Not sure what I'm actually going to do with them yet. But I reached out to my expert in the field, Scott Roberts from scottrobertsweb.com and said, hey, first of all, here's a picture of these. Guy said it was Trinidad Scorpion Death Peppers. What can you tell me about them? So... In a reply back, and I quote, back in 20, this is coming from Scott Roberts. Back in 2012, this was the world's hottest Chile pepper, clocking in at around 1 million to 1.4 million Scoville heat units. A year later or so, it was surpassed by the Carolina Reaper pepper as the hottest. And of course, we all know the Carolina Reaper pepper, especially if you're an extreme fan of this show, you'll know that Catfish Cooley ate three Carolina Reaper peppers. And then chugged a fifth of uh, Fireball. <laughs> yeah, he puked about uh, 85% of the way through the Fireball and then looked like, uh, as he said, ate one of uh, Satan's testicles. That's how hot it was. So I'm not overly excited to figure out what I should be doing with these Trinidad Death Peppers, but that does lead me into this story. This used to be a Hottest pepper of the world, and thanks to John Dosser from Patio Daddyo Barbecue for the lead here on this story. And according to DailyMail.co.uk, Pepper X, this is a real thing, Pepper X set to break record for world's hottest pepper with a 3.18 million Scoville heat unit rating. <laughs> pepper X is set to take the crown for the world's hottest pepper, dethroning the official record holder. The Carolina Reaper, the pepper averages a whopping 3.8 million Scoville heat units and has been developed over the past 10 years. For reference, jalapenos are a mild 10,000 to 20,000 Scoville units. Scoville units measure capsaicin, the chemical that triggers spicy sensation. And because of this, Pepper X is safe to consume in the last dab hot sauce developed by Pucker Bucket Pepper Company, founded by Smokin' Eddie Curry. Pepper X is combined with distilled vinegar, ginger, root, turmeric, coriander, cumin, dry mustard in the sauce. 
The first 1,000 bottles of hot sauce sold in two minutes, but it's available for pre-order at Heatonist. The Guinness Book of World Record for the spiciest pepper currently is that Carolina Reaper pepper. Curry says the Dragon's Breath chili is hotter than the Reaper, but less so than Pepper X. It comes with a mild 2.48 Scoville unit. For the same reason, Pepper X should not be consumed alone. That's why it's in this hot sauce. So if you're looking for a new record breaker, and I'm sure we'll have Scott Roberts on once it is set, Pepper X could be breaking the record with a 3.18 million Scoville heat unit. That's three times more powerful than those Trinidad Scorpion death peppers. Cook Shack manufactures smoker ovens for barbecue lovers with any amount of experience, whether you barbecue in the backyard, on the competition circuit, or in a five-star dining facility. Cook Shack has the unit that will do the job, and with a full line of barbecue sauces, spices, pellets, and wood chunks, it's the perfect one-stop shop. Cook Shack strives to be your barbecue resource center by offering cooking classes, online recipes, how-to videos, two blogs, smoke and grilling 101s, and a video cooking classroom. Check out their website at cookshack.com or follow them on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Pinterest, or Google+. Get advice or share your passion for barbecue in their world-class barbecue forum. Cook Shack pellet-fired smokers are the choice of champions because they were designed by a champion, Ed Fastetti Moore. The FEC 100, PG 1000, always customer favorites. The PG 1000 can double as a smoker and a grill. Low and slow, hot and fast, the pellet grill line gives you the most for your money. Cook Shack Residential Electric Smokers are the number one smoker in the industry. High quality means high durability and versatility. Anything you can cook in your oven, you can make in a Cook Shack. Passion and dedication drives Cook Shack's manufacturing, with quality always being at the forefront. Get the best in barbecue since 1962. Call 800-423-0698. That's 800-423-0698. Or visit the website cookshack.com. That's cookshack.com. Appreciate the support that Cookshack has given the show over the years. And we will line up Max Good coming up out of the break. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. We'll be right back. Live from the Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Welcome back. The 2017 grant program offered by Smithfield was a raging success this season. So, If you want your event that you put on to be considered for the 2018 grant program, head to SmokingWithSmithfield.com right now and apply for the 2018 grant program. Okay? Applications being taken until October 25th. So we have uh, just shy of a month to get your applications in. Don't miss out. Again, SmokingWithSmithfield.com is the website to check out if you want your event to be considered for the grant program. The fourth Tuesday of the month brings a visit from the Keeper of the Flame, 
over at AmazingRibs.com. You looking for a cooker? Are you looking for buying advice? This is the guy to answer all those questions. Let's go ahead and race to the hotline. And welcome back, friend of the show, Max Good. Max, how are you, buddy? Hello, Max. No, Max. Hello? I can't hear you, Greg. Can you hear me? I can hear you. This is going to make for a really awkward conversation. Oh, boy. I don't know what to do here. Uh, I checked my speakers, and they weren't working either. Um, Oh, dear. We've got quite the conundrum. Well, here we go. Once again, call this number. Here we go. Two, one, six. What's this? Just call that number. Call me. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. I love when we're uh, hash. I spent all week calling the dudes from the embedded correspondence segment. Check, 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 check. Hello? Hey, I think I got some. Can you hear Hello? me? Can you hear me? Well, it's, uh, it's kind of like you got a compressor or something on your voice, but can you hear? You heard me to begin with. Uh, I can hear you perfectly. You sound great. Oh, well, you actually sound like you're in a stadium with a compressor or, or a limiter on your voice. So let's give hmm. it a try, huh? Why don't I call you right back and see if that fixes it? No, I think there's something screwy on my end oh. here with uh, Skype. So oh, right. I, I can, I think we can have a conversation. Let's yeah. let's muddle through it and see what happens. As I always say, as long as you sound good, I mean, it doesn't matter what you look like, right? Well, you got them both going, Greg. Hey, look at you. Appreciate the suck up to the host. <laughs> always appreciate. It. All right. So, Max, we want to talk about a few different things this evening. The first one is a tabletop gas grill. Now, this seems to be a good time to talk about it because a lot of people, I guess a lot of people like to camp. I mean, I don't get camping myself at all, especially if it really includes like tents and sleeping on the (laughs) ground. I think that's completely weird, but a lot of people like that, so that's fine. Also, tailgate season, especially For the professional footballers, obviously college football, really big into the tailgating. And that's when you see a lot of these kinds of grills making their foray into the marketplace. Mm. So talk to me about the one that you have been messing around with and uh, tell me, I guess, who makes it, price points, and then we'll kind of dig into if you like it or not or or whatever. Okay, well, it's made by Cuisinart. They seem to have, well, everybody knows Cuisinart. They have a million different kind of more indoor stuff, you know, all this uh, food processors, uh, blenders. Yeah, yeah. They, that was one of their big claims to fame. That's how they hit the the scene in the U.S. Uh, but now they now they make a whole load of stuff, and they've been making a push for some, you know, portable outdoor gas grills. Now, when you go tailgating uh, to football games or many places <laughs> that are tailgating, because nowadays it could be. Uh, it, it's not just confined to a, a football tailgate, tailgate in the backyard yeah. anymore, right? Tailgate, yeah, home gating. That's right. a, that's home a big gate. thing, you know. But and when you're but when you're traveling and people are looking for portable stuff, it's not uncommon to see a group of friends that regularly go to a game or something of that nature, and they'll have three or four of these little bitty charcoal and gas grills and that's what this Cuisinart Petite Gourmet is they make several other ones but this one seems to have captured the public's imagination for a variety of reasons I think it's appealing visually it's very small and lightweight 14 pounds 
Uh, I think the grade surface is 15 inches by 10 inches. It's little, you know, but uh, like many of them, the lid locks down and the legs fold up and you can walk around with it like it's a little briefcase. Uh, you know, they they say that you can put eight burgers on them, but those would have to be small burgers. Mm. <clears throat> Regular sized burgers, you get about six on. Very hot in the center. Uh, we found the best way of dealing with it for most cooking is to put the burner on medium, close the lid, and then periodically move things around on it so you get it to, uh, even cooking. Um, you know, it, it, the street rate is about 100 bucks on it. Um, it's not the cheapest. And I wouldn't say that's necessarily even the best, but I think people like it because it's little, lightweight, and uh, fun. <laughs> you had mentioned that it has legs that it folds. Is it just something where you would set it on a tabletop or the legs big enough to where it would become hip height and it's be its own cooking station well they actually this is something cool they have uh for 20 bucks more you can get uh i believe they called the versa stand and that's a model that still has legs that fold up underneath this little bitty portable gas grill they fold up underneath but when you fold them out they're a bit longer mm -hmm. And then they have telescoping legs, oh. and they, it'll be a, a waist tight, which that's kind of a neat thing they got going with that. Are they steady legs? Telescoping legs, to me, runs the risk of potentially unstable. Well, I must admit, I didn't test that model, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, it's certainly attractive, but yeah, especially in that kind of environment um, where there's a lot of people crowded together and folks are just whooping it up. That's a good point. Good point. So we like it more for the fact that it's a hundred bucks, that it's light, and that's a and it's got Cuisinart on its name more than how it's actually cooking. Well, I'm not saying it's terrible. I mean, these little ones are are kind of limited oftentimes to what they can do. Yeah. Uh, but it's not super expensive. It's not the cheapest one you can get. And I've noted that people just seem to like it. I think. Uh, they like the size, the feel, the look. They like this. The they it comes in a couple different colors, like black and stainless steel. But people seem to really gravitate toward this bright red model. And you know, some might think that's well, that's kind of silly. I don't care how it looks, but I think people, you know, people see it and they go, "I like that," and they buy it. <laughs> well, and I they're happy with it. As we say with food, we eat with our eyes first. So same thing would apply to aesthetics when you're buying something. You like a car because mm -hmm. of the way it looks. You like a house because of the way it looks. You like this little grill because of the way it looks. I guess, yeah. Um, have Do you have any correlation in regards to tailgate-style grills? Are charcoal versions more popular than gas? Is gas more popular than charcoal? I don't know that I could give you uh, informed stats on that. When I go out tailgating, I see a mixture of them both. I think in general, across the country, people like gas. They perceive it as easier to use, less messy. I, You and I have had discussions on that before. I don't know that, that that's entirely true. People forget about some of the mess. Well, like with this Cuisinart. Um, if it was a little Smoky Joe or a charcoal grill, you're grilling up burgers and sausage and all this greasy stuff. Most of that grease is going to burn up on the charcoal. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, you got to get rid of the charcoal and put it in one of those little 
one of those 55 gallon drums that says charcoal only or whatever, you know. Uh, whereas the person that was going, well, huh, I'm glad I didn't have to get my fingers dirty with that dirty black charcoal and mess around with it. I'm just going to pack up my little Cuisinart now. But what about all that grease at the bottom there? <laughs> yeah. Right. It, it does have a tiny little uh, grease tray that slides out. And it's not horrible. Again, it's not horrible to, to deal with. But, um, you know, it's not like you don't get your hands dirty with that either. Well, right. If you don't clean it out and you've done a decent amount of cooking and you turn it mm-hmm. sideways, it's going to go somewhere. Yes, and it's probably not going to go where you want it to go. Yeah, right. It's going to go right in the trunk of that car. Or <laughs> the other thing, Down your leg, you know, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I did a story about some people throwing their gas grill into the back of their car, and they didn't detach or they didn't turn off the gas tank. It was running because the, uh, the, the knobs mm-hmm, okay. were open, right? And uh, the, here's the propane is collecting at the bottom of the wheel Which wells. Is not good, yeah. Lady yeah. Uh, decides that it's time for her lung dart, and she lights up, and boom, the car blows up. Wow, I didn't hear that story. Oh, sure, it was all over social media. It was uh, oh, it was all goodness. the rage. Um, it blew up, if you know what I mean. So that's another thing to consider, uh, safety wise. And I know that we've. There's been a kind of a running discussion on should you let propane cookers in the competition barbecue, and that's the one thing that everybody brings up is we can't really regulate how these gas cookers are coming into competitions, and they could kind of just be jimmied up together, and you turn the gas on, and there's no safety measures, and now the gas is pouring out, it's sinking low, there's a coal that runs out of another fire, people are blowing up left and right, blah, blah, blah. I'm not a big subscriber to that per se, because... How many people have gas and how many accidents are you really hearing about being reported? But if you have that gas grill, I mean, there is a safety concern aside, like you said, from getting rid of those coals, which is probably a lot easier to do. Then, uh, you know, you got to make sure that gas is shut off in that portable grill before mm-hmm. you put it in the trunk or in the back seat of your car. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if we looked into it, we'd see uh, uh, isolated instances of people putting uh, live charcoal <laughs> you know, in, in the backs of their cars, sure, too. Sure. Uh, you know, if it can be done, it will be done. And the danger in the scenario that you said where you bring these teams in, where guys have jerry-rigged a lot of stuff sometimes, sometimes. And, um, you know, that's it's not even... Uh, m- most people that manufacture gas grills, uh, most companies, the, particularly the big ones, make sure they... They feel like they got their rear ends covered mm-hmm. by using only uh, uh, by by ensuring that it's been certified by some you know like uh, underwriters labs or or somebody yeah. because then if they get that certification and your your grill blows up the, all the liability doesn't go on the manufacturer. They go, well, we had it tested. You know, we we had it tested. It was certified. Uh, it's an interesting situation. I, I, yeah. Uh, well, but when you get when you get get a, get over to these teams, and many of these guys pride themselves on modifying stuff, mm-hmm. then then you you have a, a new element that's that's not like well, I'm going to Home Depot and I'm buying this thing and I'm going to bring it home and cook on it. You're like, okay, welcome to our competition, and I don't know what the heck you're cooking on, but go ahead and good luck. <laughs> From the Cuisinart's grill standpoint, Max, is it something that you're recommending, or like how are you rating it right now? 
I, I gave it one of our silver medals because I thought, well, it worked. It wasn't crazy expensive. Uh, I see people that own it for the most part like it. Um, so, you know, I, it, when you're tailgating, you're having fun. I think uh, there's something fun about it. It works okay. It's not insanely expensive. So, yeah, you know. Silver medal. There you go. Check it out. Amazingribs.com for more information on that one. The other thing that we're talking about tonight, Max, is I don't know if it's a trend yet, uh, but I do know, for instance, Gator Pit, which is a long storied, respected offset traditional wood burning fire pit manufacturer, has ventured into making pellet cookers. Mm-hmm. So you're literally buying a 36-inch or a 42-inch or whatever, a party gator, whatever he calls it, mm-hmm. and instead of running a fire in it, he is converted into a pellet cooker. And I believe that there are other manufacturers who, uh, rule number one of the show, no names please, are looking into doing that or, or might be in mm-hmm. the R&D portion of that. So I guess first things first, what do you think about people who have made their reputation on offset pits? getting into really a completely different animal when it comes to pellet cookers because now you have electronics and you have moving mm-hmm. augers and other parts. They're mechanical. They're going to break. You never really see any warranty with pits because they're big steel pipes. And aside from the paint mm-hmm. expanding and contracting and it pops off and you might have to repaint it, there's no breaking parts. So they're really inviting a whole new potential class of headaches that they've never had to deal with and customer service issues, I might add. Well, that's a good point. However, I think uh, many of these smoker manufacturers are uh, seeing that one of the impediments to uh, not just residential, but even people that are caterers and what have you, um, to getting good smoked product is skill. And pellet smokers eliminate the need for for a good deal of the, the skill issues. Uh, I think a lot of the, or some of the smoker manufacturers that uh, are used by caterers and competition people, particularly caterers, uh, feel like this is a way to ensure that the product is going to come out to your satisfaction. You, whoever it is that is buying this, if it's your company, you're serving it to people or you're competing with it, you know, you're eliminating... uh, is is this guy? Are the is my team going to be on the ball all night long? You know, making sure this is coming out. Um, they pellet smokers work great. I love them. Um, I think uh, many of the smoker manufacturers, not just I, I didn't mean to say just those that deal with you know more commercial or competition type mm-hmm. uh, area, but residential too. And of course, I. Anybody that's making anything would like to cover all the bases. If you're making smokers that that uh, are typically used um, by folks that have more skill, and you find that you have no residential uh, market for your products, you might be looking at, well, these pellet smokers. People love them. People are starting to understand what they are. Uh, on the other side, if, if you're doing caterers and all, and you're hearing complaints well, when I use your smoker, I love it, but I can't be at my place seven days a week, 24 mm-hmm. hours a week. And some of my guys or gals, you know, 
sometimes drop the ball on me and it doesn't come out good. Um, so, you know, it's a very appealing proposition to whether it's in your backyard or a competition setting or a catering commercial setting to have these things where you really, as long as they're maintained properly, which you brought up earlier, they have moving parts, they have electronics. Um, you know, some folks bring a, a whole a whole new control system with them mm -hmm. when they're on the road because they say, if this thing blows, you know, I might as well go home. So <laughs> I, 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 I got to bring all my parts with me. I don't have a, I can't run to Home Depot and get this stuff. Um, but it's an appealing thing. I think uh, we we said uh, 2016, as I recall, I, I, I predicted it would be the year of the pellet smoker, and I think it has been. And now we see more and more action in the pellet smoking uh, arena. Um, from from where I sit, you know, I don't know as much about the competition guys, uh, but for residential, I think what happened was. Uh, people started seeing their neighbors and their family and others. You know, I'm going. I'm going to your house. You invite me over for a barbecue. How the heck did you make this stuff? It's great. I bought this pellet smoker at Costco or mm. or Cabela's or whatever. And you know that piece of junk thing that I got that cost me 150 bucks. <laughs> and you used to say that it it was the best smoked meat you ever had. Taste this. It's it's much better, right? And guess what? I didn't have to do nothing. Yeah, it costs a little more, a lot more sometimes. Sure. You know? But I don't regret it because I, this this is this thing makes my life so easy and I get the same results every time. From a features and benefits standpoint, mm -hmm. uh, and we got a minute and 15 seconds left, are okay. there ones that need to be in there tech-wise and, and features and benefits-wise for a company to really get into the market? Well, I think uh, everybody pretty much has gotten rid of those low, medium, high controllers. So that's gone now, as far as I know. That was a big beef a few years ago. There were still some of them stragglers, you know, mm -hmm. that hadn't converted to digital thermostatic control. Um, I, I don't know what, you know, you get into the price point thing. You know, how much money do you want to spend? Um, Wi-Fi is, is a big thing now. Uh, more and more people like it. More and more people are just expected and are used to it in so many areas of their lives that when you say well you can buy my pellet smoker and it's got wi-fi i'm listening that mm -hmm. sounds good to me another one i like is um uh, there's only a few that do this and camp chef has come out with a few models that are really neat uh if you let ash build up in the in the fire pot in a pellet smoker mm -hmm. the system will shut down and then you have oh. to take everything apart clean this stuff up you might have be halfway through cooking something, but uh, Camp Chef and just a few others have ash removal systems uh, where you can easily just uh, pop a little part out, dump out the ash, and keep smoking away. That's a nice feature. But then beyond that, you get into how sophisticated is it? Then it's going to start costing you money too. You know, if you want stainless steel grates, if you want heavy construction, if you want something that's going to last forever and ever. Or if you want something that's affordable, your version of affordable, lower cost, right. uh, and you just want to jump into this thing and see what it's all about, those are all things you, that need to be weighed up. Max Good is joining us here, and we're talking about the tabletop. We're talking about pellet cookers as well. The pit manufacturers getting into the pellet cookers. Amazingribs.com is the website, of course. 
Check out the Cuisinart tabletop grill and some other stuff that Max is putting out there. <laughs> and uh, we'll look for you again next month. All right. Thanks a lot, Greg. You got it. There he is, Max Good. The keeper of the All flame. Guests on the Barbecue Central show right. will appear via the Smithfield Hotline. Yummy. And um, I think, uh, just my opinion, I think it is kind of a tough barrier to entry for the pit guys. Well, these are business guys, so I'm sure they're doing a lot of the thinking here, but you got to make sure you're taking into account all of the new things that you've never had to deal with. That can be a little bit of a headache, especially warranty stuff like my auger doesn't work or my control panel doesn't work. You've never had to worry about that before with just quarter or three-eighths inch tube, right? Speaking of cookers, Big Papa Smokers, the one-stop online shop for all things barbecue, their curated selection of only the best outdoor cooking and grilling supplies will get you on the path to better barbecue results in no time. Everything at BigPapaSmokers.com has been pit master approved by Sterling Big Papa Ball himself from the award-winning rubs and sauces to the American-made grills and smokers. Big Papa Smokers has everything you need to make your better cooking experience outdoors come to life. Whether you're in the backyard or a competition pro, Big Papa's has something for everybody. Well-known for the championship rubs and seasonings, popular flavors like Sweet Money, Cattle Prod, Cash Cow, all proven winners on the circuit and the backyard. Big Papa Smokers offers 13 perfectly balanced flavors that will transform ordinary meals into extraordinary. Whether you're cooking to impress judges or grilling for your family, Big Papa Smokers' award-winning rubs and seasonings don't disappoint. If you're looking to improve the flavor of your competition barbecue recipe, Big Papa Smokers has combined forces with fellow rub company Simply Marvelous Barbecue to form what has now become known as the West Coast Offense. Big Papa Smokers is also the proud owner of the award-winning Granny's Barbecue Sauce. Looking for a new go-to sauce that will please everyone? Granny's traditional yet powerful flavors that remind us why we fell in love with barbecue in the first place. Granny's Barbecue Sauce and other top-related barbecue sauces are at www.bigpopsmokers.com. Don't forget they got grills, too. Pellet smokers, of course, like the Mac 2-Star General. They also have the Old Hickory Ace BP Charcoal Smoker. It's the only one Big Papa Trust put on his competition trailer. And they have the M-Grill. For the backyard enthusiast looking for a durable and versatile grill, the M-Grill from Texas just might be the one you're looking for. They're built like tanks. And if you're not sure about what to get, you can't go wrong with any of the grills featured on the website. They have something for every kind of backyard cook and budget. Check the website and shop the full selection. It's clear that Big Papa Smokers is the one place to go for all things barbecue. Everything featured on their website, hand-selected to help you barbecue better. Call 877-828-0727 or visit B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A-S-M-O-K-E-R-S, BigPapaSmokers.com. It's BigPapaSmokers.com, Sterling Ball and the gang over there. We're back with Mike McLeod right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Ready to get on the air. Call 216-220-0966. Now, let's get back to the LeBron James and Barbecue Talk. Craig Rampey. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Green Mountain Grills, manufacturers of some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today. If you're looking for a big cooker to house a lot of food, they got one for you. 
Medium size, got you covered there too. Also, as we were just talking about tailgates, they have the Davy Crockett. Good for camping, good for tailgating, no problem. They can also supply you with pellets to fire those cookers as well. Check them out online. GreenMountainGrills.com. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. All right, my next guest has been seen on this show over the past few months, mostly KCBS-related, but uh, tonight we're WFC, especially given the big announcement last week about how the 2017 event will actually be concluded. So let's not waste any time. We'll race over to the hotline. And welcome back, friend of the show, Mike McLeod, founder of the World Hey, Mr. Greg, how are you? Good, Mike, how are you? I am good. I'm in my car right now. I'll try to get to a good, quiet spot for you here in just a minute. Lick but, that uh, finger and good. lick that finger and hang it out the window for positive reception. That's what I say. <laughs> I'll try that and see if it works. All right, um, Mike. I'm trying to figure out if I should be excited that the Cleveland Cavaliers have somehow worked out a deal for an aged Dwayne Wade, or if I should temper my excitement all the more. Well, based on their record, I, I, I'd say uh, working out any kind of deal right now is probably a good thing for them. Yeah, I tell you, wow, look out! I think we're, I think we're on. I, I, we're going to see the championships again. But geez, I mean, I, I've never been a big fan of adding old winners. Well, uh, but a winner never loses uh, the championship <laughs> pace or the pace of a championship. So, having winners on your team is very important. Mike, um, we're going to be talking about the World Food Championships here in just a second, and uh, we, we didn't really prep for this. Uh, maybe you didn't prep at all, but I was scouring and kind of get a f- pulse of what uh, everybody's up to in the world of competition barbecue, and I, of course, hit the KCBS website. And they uh, just put out a press release that was talking about uh, a couple – was a month or two months ago or whatever it was, we talked about how – uh, MMA Creative, KCBS was going to be parting ways at the end of the year, and uh, you were very uh, upfront and honest and uh, very candid about the whole situation. And then I read the press release here. I don't know if you had a chance to read it or not, uh, but it, it, it I se- have read it once. Yeah, yeah it, it seemed. Well, I I would never ask you to rate press releases as far as how they're written, but uh, <laughs> if somebody hired somebody to do this, guess what? We should be hiring somebody else to do the next one. That's just my opinion. Um, there's a lot of buzzwords that are being thrown around in this, like uh, competition food is on fire. They also used a phrase that I've only heard one man ever coin. And, uh, oh, by the way, that's you, food sport. I believe you're the first person I've ever heard use the term food sport. Uh, that's sprinkled around here, too. Uh, but I wanted to get your take on a few different things as far as this press release is concerned. In the second paragraph, it says, As KCBS builds on its proven and powerful audience-centric approach, the largest world uh, worldwide sanctioning body continues to propel brands and food sport experiences everywhere into the global powerhouse. And I guess the first question there is, have you ever known, not necessarily the sanctioning body itself, but have you ever known a KCBS competition to be audience-centric? centric. To me, it's been a lot of exclusion, not a lot of foot traffic. I get it. It's a barbecue competition. There's not a lot of free samples and so forth, but that almost seems like it's 
really touting itself as a family-friendly, let's bring everybody out and see what's happening at a barbecue competition, which I don't really think is realistic. Well, you you pick up on an interesting point of the release, uh, a couple of interesting points. First of all, thanks for uh, the credit on the food sport. It is something that we we branded uh, about five or six years ago uh, when we kicked off the World Food Championships, and I'm glad to see that it's being adopted um, by the industry, including KCBS. Um, you know, we I talk every year at the at the banquet about about marketing initiatives and uh, ways to make our industry more open and and um, more welcoming and more entertaining uh, to consumers because when when we first started working with KCBS, that was one of the things that surprised me was uh, how the you know judging area was was uh, kind of confined and and even the um, food entries were um, interestingly uh, in a in a box that didn't show off the beauty of of the work that the teams had done and and so we every year we we try to talk about how to how to make barbecue uh, more appealing from a spectator standpoint so it's a it's an interesting um terminology and and perspective uh you know i i think it's gotten a lot better over the years i think we've had some impact on that I, i know that um at our event um, the the use of silver silver platters in the turn-in process for barbecue has been one of the um, big eureka moments for for a lot of people to be able to see how gorgeous uh, brisket and ribs and uh, pulled pork can be when when given the freedom to present it the way you want to. So um, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, it that that is an interesting uh, perspective that you that you're looking at and thinking about. One of the other items that I saw kind of reoccurring in the press release was the use of the terms brand growth. And I guess why it sticks out to me is KCBS on its uh, on its in a vacuum as a sanctioning body. They sanction events. You apply. You get sanctioned. You have to meet all the requirements and, and so forth. So to me, brand is usually synonymous with uh, revenues and products and all this other stuff, growing the brand, right? Um, and, and they're using right. that a lot in this press release. Do you have a, an opinion on if if they're using brand growth in kind of the in the wrong way, or is it in the right way? Well, we uh, I, I don't want to be too critical of it because I've only read it one time, and um, uh, I, but I will say that we when we were hired, it was. Um, or when we actually entered a partnership with KCBS, um, our one of our objectives was to build a brand um, behind barbecue and and help take KCBS to a level where it was the de facto and undisputed leader in barbecue sanctioning. So I, I certainly can see that uh, as as a brand and, and and believed it as a brand. Um, uh, it I, I would probably if. One thing that caught my attention about it was the use of company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, K- KCBS is, it, uh, I don't think technically a company. It, it's, um, it's a society and a nonprofit organization. I guess that is a company in some respect, but that just caught me off a little bit. But um, there's there's certainly, uh, KCBS is a brand in the barbecue industry. So, uh, that's been, it's been a charge of ours and a and a focus of ours to build it. Uh, 
Uh, and I certainly think it will be a, a focus in the future for anybody else who's trying to help uh, KCBSI. Uh, in the, at the very end, they make a sentence talking about an approach results and meaningful transitions, uh, I'm sorry, transformations and expansions for our events and members who are true disruptors and change agents with our industries. Are you not a change agent and disruptor, Mike? <laughs> Uh, some, yeah, Th- those are some words. And, those and, are some words. Wow. <laughs> Change agent and disruptor. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I like, yeah, I think, I think we've made a, a lot of changes, uh, in, in our, in our walk in barbecue and, and, um, in our event at the world food championships. You, I think that's what we, uh, had originally planned on talking about was some changes and, being a change agent um, for World Food Championships, but um, you know, I, I, I uh, there's just a whole lot about that I can't answer for you because I didn't author it and um, I, I didn't. I, I read it just like most people did uh, for the first time when it was published. So I, I would uh, encourage you to try to find the author of the of the article and and ask them those questions instead of me. To be honest. Yeah, oddly enough, uh, nobody put a name to that, so uh, that's going to be harder to do uh, than uh, perhaps could be. But nevertheless, all right, so I appreciate you taking time to answer those questions. Uh, And now we will get to World Food Championships. So breaking news over the past week or so, September 19th, a post is made on the WFC website announcing a special event for the final table in this year's World Food Championships. So for the folks who aren't briefed on it yet, tell us about the special event and obviously how this is going to impact the whole encompassing WFC itself. Well, um, to pick on the current theme, uh, it it is certainly a, um, a change agent for the world food (laughs) championship. Uh, we for years have, have thought about, uh, the whole model we, that we have built with the world food championships and, and how we can, a, in the beginning, how we could create a final table. And then secondly, how can we bring more awareness and prestige to the final table? Um, right now, the way the final table works is we go five full days through the championship Wednesday through Sunday to get to 10 champions. And then we take a day off to reset and give them a, a little bit of a, a rest. And then on a Tuesday, um, we conduct our final table mm-hmm. where those final and champions can can make something to represent their category and try to win the grand uh, prize of a hundred thousand dollar prize package. And um, you know, over over the course of uh, about three years, that's worked uh, pretty well, and it, it's uh, been interesting to see it develop. We, it's gotten better every year. But we've been talking to media and partners um, a couple years now about. Uh, the whole model that World Series of Poker used for years and years, which really put it on the map. I know it's now reverted back to a single uh, strategy run right through it process, but and I don't know why they did that. But um, having a live final table has been a goal of ours for a long time because when we would run our TV show, uh, anytime it was run, whether it's a Discovery or A&E or a Food Network or anything, uh, one of the Achilles heels of that TV show was once you kind of got interested in what was going on with food sport and world food championships, if you did any homework, you could go online and find out who the winner was. Mm-hmm. 
who had who had already gotten to the final table, number one, and then number two, who actually won the final table. So it's a it's a weakness um, from a media perspective, and we're we're trying to remove that weakness, and we we finally uh, have a network and and a host uh, partner that we're we're trying to nail all the the um, ins and outs and the details on down uh so that we can actually have a live reveal or at least a streaming deal or at least shot in the studio then then go live with it strategy so that uh for about four or five months from november we get to build anticipation we get to promote our 10 champions we get to talk about food sport more and um and then find out who wins so uh, a lot can happen with that strategy and, and with that model that new model and um, this is going to help elevate food sport um, and, and our crown jewel to to a whole new level. Mike, I'm going to play devil's advocate here just for a second. It's Mike McLeod from MMA Creative and uh, Creator World Food Championships. From a from a competition's standpoint, it seems that every fiber of my being is screaming, "Why would we do this? You spend a solid week or so at the event in Orange Beach, final table set, and now you're going to be, in essence." putting it in park for four or five months before a champion is crowned from a competitor standpoint, is there not something to be said on a positive note for crowning a winner at the end of that week versus having it take place from 2017 and then carrying over into 2018? Is there a momentum thing that we could be losing? Is there a riding the wave of luck thing that we could be moving or or losing when we chop it up in November and then finish it in April? Well, I, I can see the perspective, um, but that's really what every other event does. And we we still do that. I mean, you we crown 10 champions. Each one of our categories is as big as a regular event, other than the majors, of course. But we have up to 40 teams in every silo and over 100 teams in barbecue. So we go through the process like every other event, and we get to a uh, reserve grand champion and a grand champion. So we're not cutting that short. And it, and someone's walking away with a $10,000 prize package. So what we're doing is elevating the one thing that we brought to the table that no one else in the industry ever did. And that was the chance to prove I'm better than everybody else in those other categories. Um, there's not a single event that I know of, certainly not in America, that has 10 championships run simultaneously in 10 different categories and crowns 10 $10,000 winners. Mm -hmm. So we're already doing more than any event that I'm aware of. Do you know of one that does more than that? I sure don't, no. Uh, No, so (laughs) what we're doing with the final table has always been a bonus. So my my retort to that discussion would be that we're now going to get to put the, the final table on its own pedestal. And if I can bring more notoriety to you as a winner of Sandwich by having you interviewed on Rachel Ray, let's say, or having you on Fox TV uh, because you're from Des Moines, Iowa, and they have a 
a Fox TV network and, and they want to interview the fact that you just won $10,000 and oh, by the way, you get to go compete for a hundred. How does that feel? I would, as a, as a PR guy, as a marketing guy, as an agent, uh, I would make the case that that furthers the career of those 10 individuals who make it to that point. Don't overlook the fact that for every year that we've ever existed, except for the first one, when we uh, just did all of this in about four days, which I don't, I can't even imagine <laughs> us doing that again. Um, uh, about 90% of our audience, the competitors go home after Sunday. Mm-hmm. And they already go, they already leave. And, and the people who stay for the final table are usually people that have to extend their hotel reservation because they didn't expect to win. And there might be another 10% of the audience that's just true food sport fans or true WFC fans that want to stay and see it because they've either been there or heard about it. So we're, we're making a big argument for a small percentage of the people and I'm trying to take that small percentage of the people and make it just as big as the rest of the tournament. Mike McLeod joining me here on the show. Uh, Mike, in the article that was released on the 19th, you said, and I quote, this year will go down as a tipping point for food sport. Assuming the final table goes without a hitch and sees the exposure, you're hoping that it is going to get. Does a tipping point to you mean that... I guess in a, in a broad quote unquote, other entities will be potentially reaching out to you now to join the world food championship train in some regard. And is that the WFC will be able to position their top cooks with opportunities that other cooking organizations talk about have never done. And now you're making a statement like that. And not only are you continually looking forward, but you must be looking back at some of those lost opportunities along the way saying, Hey, now we have the opportunity to really execute all parts of this plan, and we're going to do it under the WFC umbrella. I couldn't have said that better. Um, the 2017, if, if I could open up my brain and share with you everything that I know, um, you would agree with me. It, it, it has already been a tipping point year, and, and once we unveil – the things that we will be able to unveil at the championship. And then from the championship to uh, the final table moment, uh, people are going to sit back and say, wow, this was the breakout year. Maybe I should have used that, that terminology, a breakout year, because we are finally at, at that moment where uh, more companies are joining us in the food sport quest. Um, more opportunities are being given to to our food sport champions. Um, more networks, more major corporations. I'm talking about Fortune 100 corporate corporations are saying, "How can we help? How can can we extend this?" I had a, a phone call this this afternoon from five to six p.m. that was a head knocker, and I didn't even see that one coming. But it's about every two or three days right now, um, we're, we're getting approached about what's happening in food sport and the World Food Championships and people that are wanting to take it overseas, people that are wanting to uh, put it on primetime television. 
I'm in talks with ha- about six different networks on different <laughs> six different angles of the World Food Championships wow. uh, on a regular basis right now. And and if I had, I mean, two years ago, I couldn't even have foreseen this. Um, I remember one time a champion asked me, "Well, well, what's next?" You know, the, they were looking to me <laughs> almost as if, if I were their springboard agent. Now that they had won. And I was supposed to take them to visit with Al Roker, right. and and we were supposed to have a sit sit down, right? And and I basically said, well, what's next is I got to keep building this thing. I, I can't I can't help you individually yet because I have to keep building the mothership. So we've reached that point now where um, anyone who comes into our system and, and exits uh, as a winner or just does great on TV. Um, for example, we're going to have a, a, another major cable channel that focuses on food. I, I, did, I, I didn't say the channel, did I? No. Nope. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, good. Um, so they're coming in to shoot our seafood category, soup to nuts. If you're in the seafood category, you're, you're about to have a shot at stardom. Um, we, we've got another one, uh, coming from overseas who's, who's shooting, uh, I think it's the, um, uh, the burger division. I mean, if you, so if you're in burger, you got a shot of international, uh, reputation here. I just crazy, but wonderful things are happening. So it, it will definitely go down as a tipping point year. And it'll also be a breakout year. World food championships takes place November 7th through the 12th. You have the final table culmination at some point in April, we will break details as those are served up to us by Mike McLeod, who was the founder of the world food championships. And uh, that website, world2championships.com. Mike, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for doing it. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate you. You got it. There he is, Mike McLeod. Once again, uh, not sidestepping anything for answers. Tough questions there all the way around, of course. All right, Bobby Rempe. And you're listening to Barbecue Central. Yeah, my clock is jacked, by the way. All right, let me do this real quick. And I'll uh, react to Mike McLeod. You can react as well when we get to the second side here. Are you in the market to turn up your barbecue skills? If so, you need to get your hands on the most advanced ceramic cooker out there on the market today. We're talking about the all-new Monolith Barbecue Guru Edition. And CyberQ Cloud Controller just launched by the Barbecue Guru a handful of months ago. The world's first temperature-controlled ceramic smoker and grill with a built-in power draft fan. Going to give you the easiest, most successful barbecue experience. These must-have new products will make barbecuing easier than ever before and will be your new secret weapon for cooking delicious meat each and every time. Ready to buy? Head on over to bbqguru.com. Grab them while they last. 800-288-GURU, the phone number if you have any questions, or again, the website, bbqguru.com. I will play catch up with the clock here in the next few minutes. Stick around. Be right back. Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets. For all your pellet-driven cookers, visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase. You can also visit Amazon.com as well. Download the Cooking Pellets app. You can get alerted to great shipping deals when they happen. Again, it's cookingpellets.com or amazon.com. 
and we will start the second hour here right now. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me! Fine, how is long? You have a great show of a big fan. Boing. So what 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 seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? We ate two feet for wieners. But listen, Laverne, it's a feast. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. Top men. All right, just like that, we are into the second hour. It's the Barbecue Central Show. Thanks for finding me. We do it. Uh, we do it live. We do it live. Right here every Tuesday. Do we do it live. That's right, Bill. Calm down. Um, if you want to get in touch with the show, 216-220-0966. You can also email Greg at the BBQ Central Show.com. Still to come on the show tonight, the embedded correspondence segment, or as we're kind of maybe calling it the hot take segment. <laughs> Hot takes. I don't know if I like that. We'll keep toying around with the name. The show's, or the segment's staying. There's no doubt about it. The likes of Doug Shiding and David Huff and DJ Howie D, Steve Ray. No Patrick Paquette this weekend. He's in Stephen Reichland's northern stomping ground in Martha's Vineyard vacationing. How about that? John Dawson weighing in with an email ramps my hats off to McMike for his incredible WFC success. It pains me to say it, but he has the vision and execution that KCBS desperately needs. Uh-oh. Well, they saw fit to take it a different direction and then put out that newsletter. Oof. Go read it. If you didn't read it, I mean, oh. It's uh, from from somebody that likes to write and somebody who likes to talk, uh, not from a content standpoint, but just you know how it's written. You know, you that could have been looked at a couple different times, I would say. So, you know, hey, I'm here to help, right? I can write, I can talk, I can write. The National Pro Barbecue Tour, presented by Sam's Club, rolled into Edmond, Oklahoma, this past weekend. This, folks, was the very last regional final that sends the top six teams. No, that sends the top ten teams to the national finals in Bentonville, Arkansas. Those teams are grand champion. The 709.7. In my math class, we call that 70. Uh, we call it 710. Shake and bake barbecue. Wow. How about that? Wonderful. That's a big score. 7-10. Big score. Reserve Grand Champion. J-Star Barbecue with a 699. So he was 10 points back. Wow. Third place, Outlaw Hogs Barbecue. Fourth place, Clark Crew Barbecue. 
Fifth place, Dirt Road Barbecue. Sixth place, Blazing Blues Barbecue. Seventh place, When Pigs Die. Eighth place, Burnt at Both Ends. Ninth place, the American Dream Barbecue Team. Qualls, look at you getting it. Good for you. And rounding out the top 10, Fat Boys Barbecue, Temple, Texas. So there was a good 20-point gap between 1 and 10. And really, when you look between 2 and 10, it was only 9 points. Pretty much less than 9 points separating 2 and 10. 10 points between 1 and 2. So Tim Shearer had a good cook, looks like. Scoring very well. 7-10, big score. The next National Pro Barbecue Tour event takes place in two weeks' times. They're off this coming weekend, and that is to get ready for the granddaddy of them all in the calendar year for the National Pro Barbecue Tour, which is the National Finals on October 7th. So good luck to everybody going down to Bentonville and trying their hand at winning the overall national championship of the National Pro Barbecue Tour. We look forward to talking to the winner of that in a couple weeks' time as well. So, um, where was I? Well, I guess that was it. I wanted to get back. Uh, I probably lost it. I wanted to finish talking about this pepper. Uh... I got an idea. Let's go over to the history button and check out. It's not there. This is my browser history, right? I know I was on the internet when I looked it up, for good Lord. Eh, Maybe not. Might have been saved on my Google documents, which probably doesn't load into my history for some reason. So we were talking about Pepper X, set to break the record for the world's hottest pepper with uh, 3.18 million Scovilles. Well, here's the question that I have for anybody that is kind of a pepper expert, okay? So I have these Trinidad Scorpion death peppers, like a lot of them, 20. I think that's a lot. Does anybody have any suggestions on what I should actually do with them? Uh, Things that I will not be doing with them, and a lot of you wanted me to eat one on the air here live tonight. That had 0% chance of happening. Zero. However, I'm not averse to trying something out with them. I just don't want to eat one all by itself and be that next guy on YouTube that everybody makes fun of. I get made fun of like pretty much 24-7 for not eating Trinidad Scorpion Death Peppers, by the way. So is there, like, can I dry them out? How do you dry them out? I thought about making up my uh, buffalo wing sauce and then maybe taking three of them and maybe quartering, throwing them in the buffalo wing sauce and letting it uh, steep and then straining it out. And I'm figuring I would have a much hotter sauce at that point. So if you have any suggestions, then I would ask that you shoot them my way, either through the instant chat here or over the email if you want. I was talking about the guy that created this Pepper X. His name was 
Ed Curry. And the article continues. Ed Curry reveals that Pepper X is three times hotter than any other peppers that are currently available commercially. It's twice as hot as the Reaper. The Reaper's at 1.6, so this is a dangerous pepper. Curry says the Dragon's Breath Chili is hotter than the Reaper, but less than the Pepper X. This is a different kind of pepper. It comes with a 2.48 Scoville unit and is potentially lethal, according to live science. Eating a pepper this hot can send your immune system into overdrive and trick your body into thinking it's experiencing real extreme heat. What? For the same reason, Pepper X should not be consumed alone. Don't eat the Pepper X by itself. Use the sauce. For instance, the hot sauce is described as more than simple mouth burn. Pepper X singes your soul. Starting with a pleasant burn in the mouth, the heat passes quickly, lulling you into a false sense of confidence. And the article continues, you take another bite, enjoying the mustard and spice flavor. This would be great on jerk chicken or Indian food, but then wham, all of a sudden your skin goes cold, your stomach goes hot, and you realize the power of X. Curry submitted the evidence that Pepper X is the hottest pepper in the world, said he expects to hear back from Guinness Book sometime in November. So, we've had Scott Roberts on this show a number of times. He's talked about what can physically happen to your body. If you're going to somehow come across Pepper X, however you're going to eat it, even if it's going to be in the sauce, 3.18. It's three times hotter than the, it's three times hotter than the previous, the two-time previous, not the Carolina Reaper, but the Trinidad Scorpion Death Pepper. I don't even know it's called Death Pepper, but I like saying that. At 1.4 million Scoville units. That's the Trinidad. This one's three times more than that. The question is, where does it stop? Like, is 3.48 or 3.18 million Scoville not hot enough? And what kind of flavor really is in there? Like, the hottest chili head has to be pooping themselves with the thought of being challenged to eat one of these in front of their other pepperhead buddies at a hot sauce convention, which is probably going to take someplace in New Mexico or St. Louis or somewhere along those lines where a lot of the chili heads hang out. And you know chili head ain't going to back down, so cameras will be rolling when Pepper X decides to make an appearance I want those two chicks that ate the Carolina Reaper peppers that I played on the show like six or seven months ago to try it. They had a very adverse reaction to the Carolina Reaper. I can only imagine what Pepper X would do, especially that brown-haired girl. She'd prob- Her head would probably explode. All right, folks, let me talk to you quickly about the pit barrel cooker. I love the pit barrel cooker. It's very easy. It accommodates a lot of food. Some things to think of when you're buying a cooker, how much you want to spend... How much capacity do I want and slash do I need? Well, do you need is your realistic buying scenario. What you want 
Might be because, well, two or three times a year, I throw a party for 30, 40, maybe 50 people. So you need that capacity instead of having to figure out of going to rent an additional one or going to borrow your neighbor's one. Plus, I'm always a subscriber of having two and three and four different cookers on your patio or more. At all times, you'll use them all. You could get a couple pit barrel cookers for $600, a little less than $600, actually. They're shipped for free right to your door. They come ready to cook on. They have a tremendous amount of accoutrements that go along with the pit barrel cooker. Turkey hangers, they have a specially cut charcoal chimney that's sized for the pit barrel cooker. They have stainless steel rub shakers for their rubs. They also have really cool pit barrel styled coffee mugs and beer koozies. Pretty much anything you want to show that you're pro barbecue, uh, pro pit barrel cooker, they got it over at pitbarrelcooker.com. Here's what I suggest. You visit the website, pitbarrelcooker.com. Just revised, just refreshed, rolled right out. They got a whole bunch of new stuff that's coming. They got brand new beer openers. They got a brand new cover for the pit barrel cooker that looks really awesome as well. You can't beat it. You can hang eight racks of ribs in there. You show me another cooker for $200 or $300 that you can hang eight racks of ribs in. I don't think you can find one, to be honest. Again, the website, pitbarrelcooker.com. That's pitbarrelcooker.com. Or call them at 502-228-1222. And yes, they will talk to you. Shout out to Noah and Amber Glanville and all the folks over at Pit Barrel Cook. Thanks for the support. We're back with the Embedded Show Correspondence segment right after this. Stick around. The only show giving you a monthly visit from a doctor of barbecue. A man actually named Meathead. The author of a barbecue bible. Bloggers, reviewers, competitors, and manufacturers by the dozens. It's the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Smithfield. Partnering with ultimate names in the grilling industry, giving you amazing prizes. All you have to do is get grilling. Grill it, share it, score. Smithfieldgetgrilling.com. Follow whatever the uh, directive of the day is. You could win up to $5,000. I know a lot of people could use $5,000 right about now. I could use $5,000. I like to grill. I like to share. All right, this segment is taking the world by storm. And not just the barbecue and grilling world, just the world in general. It's the barbecue embedded correspondence segment. We have David Huff. We have Steve Ray. We have DJ Howie D. We have Doug Scheiding joining us. Gentlemen, really appreciate it, of course. And I don't want to uh, take one more. I need to apologize, of course, to my man, David Huff, who I completely blasted through last month. We didn't get to his take. He's going to lead off, of course. Now, I don't know if anybody else can see this. Go ahead and throw that. uh, I'm not going to be able to. Look at that shirt that he's wearing. Love this guy. Horse Me 2017. He's a fan. I like it. There you go. Uh, let me quickly go around the dais here, gentlemen, and answer this question quickly before we get to Dave's take here. Uh, Steve, we'll start with you. Okay, nope. Will you, if given a exclusive on the Pepper X Pepper, try it in front of everybody, 3.18 million Scoville units? Yes or no? 
No. No. Uh, David Huff, yes or no? Absolutely not. Absolutely but not. But I'll let my wife do it. All right. Doug Shiding, <laughs> uh, you want to try Pepper X? Negative. DJ Howie D. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Look at this guy. <laughs> How did I know? Wow, look at this guy. 3.18 million Scoville. That's uh, three times hotter than the current hottest pepper, if you can believe it or not. Very hot. All right, uh, David, go ahead and kick us off this evening with your hot take. Well, you know, first, this is my favorite time of year. You got football back on the television. Uh, Oktoberfest beer is is coming out. Weather's getting colder. It's my favorite time to light up the smoke or two around the barbecue or around the campfire. And one of my favorite things lately that I've been putting on the smoker a lot is pork belly. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of wanted to get the other guys' take on what they do with it. It's not something that your cardio surgeon would uh, recommend you do very often. <laughs> but um, it's available now at a lot of stores where it didn't used to be because it was reserved for making bacon. And I think now in large part, thanks to these fancy restaurants that are serving pork belly on their menu, it's available even in big box discount stores. And Meathead is going to absolutely have a conniption here. but. Uh-oh. I make pork belly burnt ends out of it. And, oh, um, no. I know. You didn't and, say that out loud, did you? Do what? You didn't say that out loud, did you? I I, I, did, I thought I hit mute. I apologize. <laughs> so, um, but it's just absolutely wonderful. So I get it with the fat on, skin off, cube it up, put some rub on it, yep. smoke it until it's got the right color, in a pan with some butter and sauce and a little bit of brown sugar basically let it braise and then they just absolutely fall apart uh, so guys aren't out there if guys are out there and they're not trying pork belly do yourself a favor it's relatively inexpensive just want to know how the other guys prepare it if anybody has tried to leave the skin on and had success getting it crispy after you put it on the smoker just kind of want to throw that out there david let me ask you before we get to the panel here when you're doing the pork belly burn ends are you cooking to a temperature for finish, or do you just uh, grab them and squeeze test them? Yeah, it's a squeeze or a toothpick. If that toothpick goes in there and you squeeze it, and the juices start coming out, and it's tender, that that's that's it. It's it's hard to get a temperature on those. They also, I cut them into about an inch, inch and a half cubes. Yep. They get up to temperature pretty quick. I think total cook time on them is maybe two hours, two and a half on a cold day. All right, DJ Howie D, you talk to me about pork bellies. You like pork belly burn ends. You have trouble finding pork belly. How do you see it? Here in New York, having trouble finding pork bellies. Haven't seen them in stores yet. Really? Really. Do you, I mean, have you tried them before? Yes, I've tried them before when I was down in Memphis. Uh, It was good. It was, you know, basically it was like uh, thick bacon. (laughs) But it was uh, real sweet with the uh, seasoning and everything. Have you tried the pork belly burn ends that David was talking about yet? I mean, it's all the rage on social media right now. No, I haven't tried the uh, (laughs) the burn ends yet. Doug Scheiding, you're up next. Talk to me about pork belly burn ends. I have not had pork belly burn ends, but um, some of the best pork belly I've had recently was uh, at Ronnie Killen's uh, in Pearland. He has a bone-in pork belly that was fantastic, and uh, I think he'll become known for that here in the in the future. Probably one of the best barbecue bites I've ever had was at a place in New York, 
and it had a pork belly slider and it was just fantastic. I actually went back in the kitchen and watched them make it and they used Worcestershire and uh, cooked it on a griddle, Worcestershire sauce and uh, some honey and then put this on a, like a little Chinese little bun and it was really good. Are you able to find pork belly pretty readily where you're at in Texas, Doug? Oh, no. sure. Oh, oh, sure. I could go to uh, just the meat market here in my little town and I could get some pork belly. How big a one do you usually buy or do you not really buy it? Man, the one, the the last one I did buy, it was a huge one. It was probably eight pounds. It was, wow. you know, the size of a small brisket. I had to cut it up in small pieces and freeze it. All right, Steve, you got the last word on pork belly. Are you seeing it where you are Hello. in Tennessee? Are you yeah, messing we, around I, with it? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I ordered them in a restaurant here in Chattanooga. They were uh, slow roasted with a grapefruit marmalade, and they were unbelievable, David. And uh, I, I went. To, I immediately went to our local uh, Publix here and ordered them. You had to order it. They didn't have it in stock, but I got it. Doug, I got one that was like twelve pounds. Oh. And I had a, and I had them take the. Uh, I had them take the skin off, and I brought them home, and I slow cooked them. Watched a video on YouTube, and I mixed them up with uh, grapefruit marmalade at work, and took them to work for the guys. And uh, man, knocked it out of the park. It was. Uh, they're they're delicious. I mean, it's, you know, they're just they're just they're just wonderful. We, we call them pork belly buttons, D- not uh, burned in. I was going to say, have you messed around with the pork belly burnout? Are you surprised from a social media standpoint that this seems to be the darling of the summer is these pork belly burnouts? They, they really came out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a, it's a good thing. It's something different, something, you know, stepped outside the box. And uh, people love them, and, and you get such a great response when you serve them to people. It's it's just a wonderful food, and and with the marmalade, uh, you know, some people took them, um, threw them on peach, you know, put peach marmalade, any kind of jelly. Barbecue, of course, barbecue sauce works great, but uh, I, I love them. I I eat them. I've got I've got two slabs sitting four feet from me in my freezer right now. You ever just made bacon out of it? No, it, it doesn't taste like bacon because it's not cured. Um, it's you got to cure it to make it taste like bacon. It really doesn't taste. Much like bacon, it's it's got a real soft texture. Um, the fat's almost it's almost slimy, but it's a good it slime. It's not like eating a a snail or something like that. It's a good slime, not like a an oyster or something like that. All right, so, so there's your uh, your pork. That you, questions answered, David. Yeah, I'd like to know from Doug the one with the bone in. You said, uh, <laughs> is it like a steak with the bone in, or how does he serve it that way? I actually think he left the the rib portion on and and cooked the whole thing together with the rib and and the the pork belly portion. So because it was it was actually quite meaty, it wasn't you know just all fat um, as you're eating it. So it was really really good. Wonderful. All right, uh, DJ Howie D, you're next up on hot take. What do you got? Say that again. I couldn't hear you. I said you're up next on the hot takes. What's your uh, what are you burning on tonight? <laughs> Today's hot take is the fifth category in our competition. What could be the fifth category? Would it be uh, dessert? Would it be uh, sides? Uh, it's time to loosen up the playing field because everyone has their scientific methods all down, and the competitions are getting real tight. And it's time to have something to just. Uh, Open up the uh, playing field. Uh, now, let people run. We would be so you're proposing to adding 
a complete fifth category, not just an ancillary category, but this would also be included with the brisket, the ribs, the chicken, and the pork. That is correct. All right. Well, so what? what is your suggestion first? Uh, exotic. Lamb, fish, kangaroo. Kangaroo? Kangaroo. You have a hard time getting pork butt. You think you can get kangaroo for crying out loud? <laughs> we can get it. <laughs> Horse meat, Greg. Horse meat. That's exotic. That's right. All right. So you're you're down for the exotic stuff, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, David, talk to me. You're kind of uh, you're in the competition scene, a little bit newer. But what would you like to see as a standard fifth category? I like the exotic idea. Actually, I think the the issue would be. People would argue about what's considered exotic. Um, would you have to list out the criteria? Um, but I love that. Lamb on the smoker's great. Um, never had some of the other things that he mentioned. I would just say an other category. Um, just leave it wide open for people to be creative. They want to do I- fish. If they want to do you know other types of poultry like turkey, there's some really good smoked turkey out there. I think it's one of the more difficult things to get right. Um, so I, I just let it be other and, and let it be wide open and just be kind of the wild card. You might have a new grand champion because they brought lamb to the table and no one else did. So kind of like a best bite scenario, if you will. Right. Absolutely a best bite. That's a great idea. All right, Steve, what do you think about adding a fifth category and what would you like to see it be? But I don't know. I don't know, Greg. The last two contests I've cooked, my pork butt's been an exotic category with the scores <laughs> I've got. Um, you know, I, I have a hard time turning in four uh, in the in the time slot. I'm I'm more av- I'm more I'm more for cutting one and just turning in three and lengthening the turn in times. But um, I don't know, deep fried Oreos. Let's do that. You know, what the heck? Why don't you Bear go? Food. Why don't you go try uh, IBC? They only, they <laughs> yeah, only got three categories there, right? Yeah. All right, Doug, what do you like? Well, actually, you know, RBCA, we only have the three. Sometimes we have pork, but I would actually say uh, consistently we have beans as the fourth category. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, this weekend I'm doing a contest, and, of course, it has beans. And the other fifth category is uh, a margarita pour-off. So uh, we've had gone to contests where cabrito was a mandatory uh, category done uh, venison, wild hog, like at the Texas Trophy Hunters. Um, you know, the easy answer I, that came to the top of my head is stinking steak. I'd love to have a steak category at all the contests, and then that way we could just kind of, you know, have that along with barbecue at all of them as well. All right, Doug, uh, we'll go ahead and stay with you. Your hot take for this evening. Well, it's interesting, you know, your earlier interview, I hadn't uh, seen or heard about this uh, KCBS press release, but uh, I attended the the Royal again <laughs> this year. And uh, my question is, did they fumble the ball this year? And, uh, you know, was this a blip in the radar or uh, things to come? I say that, um, yeah, they fumbled it. I mean, attendance was way down, 407 teams. Um, they announced it, you know, pretty late on a holiday weekend. I'm not wild about the venue at the racetrack. There's a lot of fences, a lot of, um, you know, it's hard to get around. Um, and Sunday, I find it interesting, They in the press release, they say that it's, a, you know, attendance and things like that. Sunday's a ghost town. There's no one there except the cookers, and that's for the open event, you know, where, you know, 400 teams are, are cooking. So um, they're, they're awful concerned about it being the largest barbecue event. 
they're correct in terms of number of cookers, but number of attendees, I would say uh, Houston rodeos by far with, you know, 200,000 attendees on one day. Do you think that's a better event all in itself, Houston Livestock, when you compare it to the American Royal then? Personally, I think, you know, I think I've said this before on the show that uh, Houston Rodeo is uh, like the Royal on steroids. Their party night is like Houston's Thursday night. <laughs> all right, so here's what I think. I think it was kind of a travesty to put the American Royal on a holiday weekend. Uh, you're now forcing people. So for the longest time, you're used to the American Royal taking place somewhere in the neighborhood between six to seven weeks later in the year than it was on Labor Day. You do it on Labor Day. Now you're asking people to push out whatever they might have planned. Maybe you have something that happens every year. You have a family get together or some other personal thing. So now you're fighting family and barbecue, which I would imagine for most people, especially on this kind of a holiday, family's probably going to win out. So you're going to be suffering from attendance there. But the other thing that I think is continuing to be an issue, they cannot keep one single place as a permanent home for the American Royal. And I think within a year or two, if that does not get defined as this is going to be the permanent home of the American Royal, that competition could go away by and large. And we will talk about what the American Royal used to be like because this year it's on a racetrack and next year it's going to be going to where Arrowhead Stadium, but not the following year because there might be a football game. So now we got to find somewhere else to get. There's there's a few things that need to be ironed out. And we won't even talk about the uh, Barbecue Hall of Fame. But there's some things that need to be ironed out to make sure that the American Royal stays as one of the elite events. And it has to do with when you're going to have it and where you're going to have it. And is where going to be where it's going to be from here on out. Steve, what do you think? Yeah, the uh, the the. The biggest problem I have was with the holiday weekend. You take a, a fellow like me who's in the retail business. We've got to stay close to home because that that's a huge weekend for us. People travel. I own a gas station on the interstate. Yeah. You got to. I got to be home. I can't be. I can't do barbecue on weekends. I can't do Fourth of July. I can't do any of the major uh, holidays. Memorial Day weekend's tough too. Um, so you know they they need to find a weekend. They need to live with it, and um, so everybody can plan their uh, calendars around it. And it's such a big event. Uh, now finding a venue, I'm, you know, it may be they're get, getting kicked out because they leave maybe such a trashy place behind them. I don't know, but um, a, a definite venue would would help and a definite date, and uh, keep it off the holidays so everybody, you know, everybody can take a chance. I would I would love to go. I'd love to cook the open, but on a, on a Labor Day, on a Memorial Day, on a Fourth of July, it, it just it's not going to happen. DJ Howie D, thoughts on the American Royal? Same here. I have to stay close to home during. Uh, the holidays because uh, my job. However, they need a permanent home for that because people are looking forward to go, but it keeps bouncing around different venues. And I was looking forward to go this year, but when I heard when it was going, I had to cancel my plans. Much like everybody else did. Uh, David Huff, you got the last word. Yeah, first off, if you look over Steve's shoulder there, ribs, pork butt, chicken, brisket. I think owl is his exotic category. <laughs> I, I just noticed that. Any endangered, any endangered bird does. does yeah. Great. Um, you know, not to echo everyone else, but I don't care what it is. When my friends say, hey, I'm getting married and it's on Labor Day or somebody planned something on my holiday weekend, I work hard. I, that's That's for me. That's. That's sacred. So 
I can only imagine that the attendance was down this year because it was on a holiday. Um, I haven't cooked at the Royal. It's on my bucket list. When I do, I, I certainly hope that it's at Arrowhead. Um, it's just such a great atmosphere. I've been there for football games, and it just almost brings people together. So any great event, whatever it is, it's got a place that's part of the history and it's usually got a date that's part of the history and don't go messing with tradition. All right, Steve, you're last up this evening with your hot take. My hot take, Greg and gentlemen is the KCBS competitions. I think we, and I, and I, number one, I love KCBS. I love, I love cooking them. My highest highs and my lowest lows have come in KCBS competitions and I will, I do them and I will continue to do them. But I think we need to have a starting time and an end time. We have an end time. I think they need to say nobody cooks until 4 a.m. in the morning. And then the night before, I think the KCBS needs to take an active role in the distribution of meat. They need to distribute all four proteins to the teams. I think that would make the smaller teams feel more on an equal plane with the larger teams. I think it would make make I know it would make me feel more like I've got a chance now that maybe I'm not cooking against somebody that had uh, hand picked brisket shipped to them the night before, and it makes everybody stay on the site and and prep their meat. You got to prep their their goofy looking chicken like we do. We got to do our brisket. We got to do our pork butts. We got to get them all trimmed. We got to get them ready to go. Um, I think it makes it more of a competition that you don't you don't drive in with the uh, with the stuff already uh, prepped and. Your chicken and baggies, and all you're waiting to do is have a some guy look at it and go okay, and then you you sauce it up and inject it and do whatever, and then go to go to lunch or go to dinner and, and be gone all night. I think it would keep more people there, and what a great uh, you know what a great event it would be the cooks meeting when you get your meat. I think that'd be a uh, a visitor's. Uh, I think it'd be a sight to see. I think people would come to see that to watch people, you know, scream with joy and, and look at it and get mad and say this is a piece of junk because you know that's what's going to happen. Um, and you know, I know, I know it would be hard to, to do that. And, uh, but as a team, I'd be willing to pay for that. I think the, I think the biggest fight that you're going to get is as hard as it is to believe in how potentially cost controlled you could get. People are going to bitch and moan about not being able to pick their meat. And that's probably going to be the biggest. I don't think starting at four is that bad of an idea. I've actually talked to different people here as recently as a few hours ago that, uh, the, that have echoed certain sentiments to a certain degree, and that's all I can say on that. Uh, but that's my initial thought, is that the biggest issue is going to be with meat, uh, but we'll see what Doug Scheiding has to say about this. Okay, I, uh, I like the concept of having the meat brought in, and but I just think it's a lot of work, especially for large contests uh, for KCBS uh, to, to do that. But um, I do like the tagging of meat that the Houston Rodeo does. So I like that from the standpoint of, you know, that the meat hasn't been pre-marinated, you know, they don't have one in the cooler or that they show the, you know, the inspection for the judges and things like that. And you can only cut, cut your meat for the turn in box with the judge present saying, Hey, yeah, that's the one you tagged. That's the one you cooked. That's, that's the one you can turn in. So I do like that sort of thing. And I like, going to the contest and not having any of the meats pre-trimmed. So I like the start and the end uh, from a concept, but I guess I'm uh, uh, one of those guys. I put my brisket on the night before. So I put it on it, you know, cause I am on the pellet cooker and I 
put it on at 10, a, you know, 10 PM. But, uh, most of the time I do trim it when I get there. So, uh, it, you know, take it right out of the cryovac. So, um, I, I like some of the concepts, but not 4 AM and not, not having to pick my meat. You want to pick your meat. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, there are certain th- types of meat. Uh, I think for invitationals or small events where it's it's manageable, you know, less than fifty teams. If you wanted to do that, that'd be fantastic. I would love to do those types of contests. DJ Howie D, what do you think? Okay, I had the experience at the Giant National Barbecue Battle. By the time myself and Big Mo got there, the uh, chicken that was supposed to be handed to us did not exist (laughs) it was gone they ran out of meat oh yeah yep they ran out of meat so i couldn't even tell you what happened but i'm all for uh everybody starting at the same time uh are you hypothetically then you're, you're also good with the contest providing your meat assuming they can provide it for all the teams yes I am definitely for that because I have questions every time I I roll into that particular event where, okay, um, what if someone brought their own meat already pre-bagged and seasoned? So does that mean that they can cook it? What's going on? And they're having a hell of a party, so they they already brought extra meat with them. So... There's no way of coming. David Huff, you got the last word. Do you like starting at 4 a.m.? Do you like meat being provided to you? So the start time doesn't matter to me as long as, uh, you know, let's say it's 8 o'clock the day before, and then you can choose any time after that when to start. That's fine after the meat's been inspected. I can tell you that I've, I've, participated now in three and a half we'll call it competitions (laughs) and the one thing that soured me very quickly is that i realize i just don't have any shot unless i i can afford some better products Uh, i just think the playing field is not very level if you can't buy the wagyu briskets and curabata pork and some of those other things so for contests that would supply the meat and put everybody on a level playing field i absolutely like that idea i just think the problem is going to be there is now so much money in competition barbecue Mm -hmm. and sponsorships and and other things that to go back to that uh, especially on a larger scale with a sanctioning body I think that would be a tremendous challenge, and there'd be a lot of pushback. It might have to be another body takes on where they provide the meat. Uh, I just don't know that the KCBS will ever go that route. You ready to say something, Doug? Yeah, I, I, uh, the only event that I've done that way is a kosher contest, and just like Howie was talking about, they ran out of uh, one of the meats. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. I, I cooked the contest, too. Definitely. Wow. Uh, all right. Well, we have uh, Doug Scheiding from Texas Rogue Cookers Pitmaster, Steve Ray from Tennessee Owls Nest Barbecue Pitmaster. No Patrick Paquette this week. He's in uh, Martha's Vineyard hanging out with Stephen Reichlin, I'm sure. David Huff is from Oklahoma, Huff Daddy Barbecue. And Howard Daly Jr. is down to smoke barbecue. Gang, really appreciate you joining me, and we'll see you again next month. There they are. 
The Embedded Show Correspondence. Yet another segment of success. You can get in touch with the show. Barbecue Central Show appear via the Smithfield Hotline. Well, yummy. I can tell you that. uh, We've extended it out to the 1014 segment, and I blew right through my time. Luckily, I left the backside segment open for my own stuff, so I will be able to catch up accordingly. It. It appears that the fourth Tuesday's second hour should be all embedded correspondent all the time. Incredible takes. Love it. Folks, grilling season, and especially this past week, it is hot, boy. It is off and running. Certainly, we know that Butcher's Barbecue carries a great selection of barbecue products. But their portfolio of grilling items continues to expand with really good stuff. Grilling oil, of course. But he also is in the rub and seasoning business. We all know that. Grilling addictions. This is a new product that I've been messing around with quite a bit here over the last month, month and a half. Great salty, great peppery, great garlicky, great overall grilling seasoning. Here's what I found it especially great on. You might find this to be a little bit weird. I'm a big fan of grilled lettuce. So take the whole romaine right down lengthwise, little extra virgin olive oil. And then I've taken away my old seasoning and started shaking on the grilling addictions front and back. Then on the hot grill for about a minute and a half on each side little shredded pepper jack cheese over the top, a little balsamic maybe, maybe some grilled Vidalia. Oh, delicious. And of course, right at the end, a little bit of that grilling oil. Grilling oil, great, because it is shelf-stable, never out of sight, out of mind, of course. And then, since you're going to be at ButcherBBQ.com, go ahead and check out the injections and the sauces, all the other rubs too. Honey Rub, one of my favorites. You're going to be happy that you head over there and you arm up with all of the best products out there. And remember, they are extensively tested on the competition trail, you would recall. Dave took grand champion a week ago, so you know they're winning on the trail. It's, uh, of course, always in the backyard, no doubt. Head on over to ButcherBBQ.com. Check out all the products that they have. You'll be happy you did. Again, ButcherBBQ.com. Always trust your butcher. And we are back with the Impossible Burger. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by the National Pro Barbecue Tour, presented by Sam's Club, 31 cities, 500000 in cash. Eternal bragging rights if you win it. And, of course, in two weeks' time, national championship going down. October 7th. So all the, team of, uh, all the teams of 50 have been set. Well, tw- teams of 50. All The field of 50 has been set through those regional finals, which, of course, are 
uh, five of ten uh, get to go on to the national finals, and so now you got your top fifty. We should review that list next week and take odds on who we think is going to walk away with Grand Championship. To get more info on the tour, check results, see who's going to be competing in the national final, visit kcbs.us slash Sam's Tour. Last weekend, or last show, I read to you an article penned by my Cleveland buddy and the writer for Cleveland scene, Doug Tratner, who said that he was urged by show white whale Michael Simon to head on over to his B-spot location over here on the east side of us in Woodmere, Chagrin Boulevard, uh, Beachwood, if you want, depending on how familiar you are with the area. And check out the new offering, not burger, but offering, on the menu. And it's called the Impossible Burger, and I gave you the whole description and all that stuff. And I was hopeful that I was going to get out there this past Friday, but that didn't work out. And not Saturday either. Sunday was out of town. So yesterday was the only day that I could get it all set up. So away I went. So here it is, the Impossible Burger. And as you sit at the table, you have the little propaganda tripod up there telling you about the Impossible Burger. And it's mostly made out of wheat and coconut oil. But it's supposed to be way healthy, you know, no fat. Again, healthy footprint. There's a whole green angle on this that I really wasn't considering before because you're not using beef, right? It's all plant-based. And the heme is actually being created through some type of a chemical reaction as well. Like the yeast is making the heme. The heme is giving it that uh, beefy flavor, I guess, so. Without further ado, let me give you pictures. Here is the Impossible Burger, right here. Look at that. Very sexy. Now, I think part of the appeal of... uh, Hold on. Um, part of the appeal of B-Spot Burger is the overall burger experience. From the bun to the meat to the toppings, it's all great. The buns especially, they're almost like buttered and lightly toasted. Kind of a, I don't know if it's a brioche bun, I guess. But depending on what kind of bun you do or don't like, maybe it's not for you. But I find the buns to be very exciting. But this is the burger. so. This is the the full burger. And what I wanted to say is that um, when you are faced with a vegan burger or a veggie burger, there's a very distinct look and feel and taste, almost like a black bean taste. I think black beans are used in veggie burgers. But you know, if you've seen veggie burger, it's pretty non-aesthetically pleasing. It doesn't cook to a really good color. You're eating it because you don't want to eat meat, all that stuff. And it's just like, eh. you don't really see veggie burgers out a lot. I don't. I mean, if I'm going to eat beef, I'm going to eat beef. So when I was told uh, after Doug went that he wouldn't have been able to tell if it wasn't beef, that 
sparked my interest. So we hustled on down to the B spot and I ordered two burgers. I ordered my typical Lola burger, which is burger and fry or uh, sunny side up egg, pickled onions, cheese, bacon. It's delicious. You get the yolk porn happening as you slice into it. At least I slice into it so I can have the runny yolk all over both sides of the burger. But then I also got a plain burger so I could really examine it. This is plain burger. This is plain burger with the top off. It looks like a burger. It's browned at the top, just like uh, you would get from any griddled burger. So from an aesthetics standpoint, I don't think any of you would sit there that are able to watch this on audio podcast. You're not getting any of this. You'll have to go back and look at the video on YouTube or some of the other places. But I would defy you if I said this was my hamburger from last night. I don't think anybody would be like, oh, Rempy, you're pulling one over on me now. I know that's not a real hamburger. It looks like a regular burger. Then I have show you the picture of that I cut into it. So once again, you can see that it's got that nice outer flat top griddle crust on it. And then inside, that looks like ground beef. It does. It really looks like ground beef. Here's some other pictures. This is the Lola burger that I got. So you can see pickled onions at the top. You have This was, by the way, I hate to, hate to say it. This was easily the crappiest sunny side up egg that Michael Simon's restaurant has ever put in front of. It was horrible. Get that big stuff out of here. This was the most disappointing part of the whole meal was the egg. Like, that's my favorite part of that burger. I mean, that makes the Lola burger is the egg. Because you get the gushy run of yolk all over the meat and not really cooked well. Once again, I'll give you some inside shots of the Lola burger. This is what it looks like in the middle. You can see a little bit of yolk explosion going on there. Go ahead and show you a closer up version. This is not beef. Not beef. Not meat. 100% plant. And uh, that's a crispy bun there. But yeah, this is this is your Impossible Burger. So here's my take on the Impossible Burger. I was completely blown away with how much it appears to be beef. I 100% agree with Doug Tratner's assessment that if nobody would have told me that this was not beef, if they just went and completely unilaterally decided that today is the day they're going to stop serving beef patties and serve impossible burgers and not tell anybody and put hidden cameras in there and reveal it to us after we've eaten it, everybody would be like, holy crap moment. There's no doubt about it. It juiced. It had a mouthfeel of beef. It's not a cow. John Solberg saying, that's not a plant, that's a cow. It's not. The only thing that I would be able to now sit here and tell you, because I knew what I was eating, and I have had a plethora of traditional beef burgers at the B-Spot, which are the best. I wouldn't have sat there and said, hey, this isn't beef. This is some type of veggie burger. I would have said, did they change the beef recipe in here? Because it doesn't, it's not the same as what I'm used to, but it's not bad. As I put in my social media post, 
I wasn't offended in the least. And if somebody would have said, this is a beef burger or just pass it off, I never would have thought that it was planned. So I'm not saying that I'm converting into eating the Impossible Burger. I can't get the Impossible Burger here on retail. I would have to go to B-Spot. Am I going to get it all the time? No. Am I going to get it again? Maybe not. But if for some reason I get diagnosed where I'm not allowed to eat red meat anymore, this would certainly be a fine substitute to at least get that feeling in your mouth and the flavor and the taste because it really hit on all spots. So I can't talk for any of the other plant-based burger products that are coming out, but I can speak to the Impossible Burger. I'm not offended. I'm not ashamed to say that it was good. And I would encourage you to try it out for yourself if you have access to it. That's all I'm saying. I was happily surprised, perhaps even taken off guard a little bit. Uh, B-Spot, by the way, is the only place in the Midwest that currently has Impossible Burger. So you're going to have to come to Cleveland or maybe Columbus, I think, has a B-Spot. I'm going to talk to you quickly about the Chops Power Injector, the 2015, 16, and 17 Barbecue Tool of the Year patent pending designs that feature not one, not two, but four evenly spaced needles at the perfect distance for your injecting needs. The number one seller is the half-gallon Chops Power Injector System. Easy to use. Clean it, fill it, pump it, and away you go. If you have just one brisket or pork shoulder to do, you don't need to fill it all the way up. Just put in what you need. It uses it all. It comes with a whole bunch of really nifty, cool stuff. It's a hundred. It's a hundred bucks plus shipping anywhere. Then you have the one-gallon Chops Power Injector System. This is for competitions like Memphis and May Whole Hog, or maybe you're cooking ten shoulders to get that perfect one, or your barbecue caterer. This one comes with a whole bunch of cool stuff like the half gallon, but it costs 120 bucks plus. You pay the shipping anywhere. Then you have the Chops Full Power Injector System. It's electric. It is the commercial and competition big daddy. Not a holding tank this time, but a three and a half foot pickup tube that you can put in any size container from a few ounces to a 55 gallon drum. It was designed for Chef Rob at the best barbecue restaurant in Kansas City. He has said time and time again that with the Chops Full Power Injector System, his briskets are better than ever. It comes with metal needle adapters, 14-gauge needles, 3-inch, 12-gauge needles, 2-inch, 11-and-a-half-gauge needles, 3-plug screws, a metal a needle protector, $325 plus shipping. A number of the top pitmasters in the world use the CPI system every day to make their barbecue better than the rest because we live in a foodie world that requires flavor in every bite. This is how you do it. Do it fast. It's not just for meat. How about alcohol-infused watermelon or whatever fruit you like to inject liquor into Every injector is hand-assembled right in Kansas City, Missouri, USA. If you want extra accessories, they got them. You want to shoot medium ground spices, they got you covered there, too. They sell replacement stock needle adapters and plug screws. Also, they have a great upgrade you can buy to make your Chops injector bulletproof. Metal needle adapters. Ingenious. Chops power injector systems give your barbecue power. Hit up the website, barbecuekansascity.com. That's barbecue. KansasCity.com, B-A-R-B-E-Q-U-E, BarbecueKansasCity.com. Thanks to Dan Uledal and the gang over at CPI for their support of the show. We're back to wrap it up right after this. Stick around. Be right back. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you found the best triple X show ever. 
Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpy. All right, welcome back. Thanks again, by the way, to the Embedded Show Correspondence Gang, Talton Shiding, Steve Ray, DJ Howie D, David Huff, no Patrick tonight, but he'll be back next month, potentially. And we'll go ahead and wrap the show right now. All the way back in the first hour, we talked with Max Good from AmazingRibs.com. We talked about the new Cuisinart Tabletop Grill, 100 bucks. This one earns the Silver Medal Award from AmazingRibs.com. So depending on what you're looking at, you may or may not want to take part in it. Again, 100 bucks, Silver Medal. At 9.35, we talked with Mike McLeod, president and CEO of MMA Creative, also the creator of the World Food Championships. And we talked about how the World Food Championships is changing. The 10 winners will be announced in November. However, those 10 will be held back or reserved, as we say in the culinary world. And then a final table will be introduced and then competed in at some point in April. More Details to follow as they are unveiled from Mike McLeod. We'll share them here with you in the second hour. We talked with the embedded correspondence segment. Again, Doug Scheiding, David Huff, Howard Daly Jr., and Steve Ray this month. Patrick Paquette in Arthur's Vineyard. And then we ended the show with my review of the Impossible Burger. There you go. Big show planned for next week, as always. September 11th, 2001. I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Reppy. Good night now.